0: Hello, welcome to The Quest. My name is Alan Mulhern. Before we discuss Jung's commentary on the Tibetan Book of the Dead, I will be covering a few basic points in this episode on Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism by way of preparation. Buddhism believes that all things are impermanent. This includes an extreme and challenging position that there is no permanent self or soul. The root of ignorance or misperception, avidya, is the false belief in permanence. The idea of a permanent self in Buddhism is simply regarded as mistaken. This belief gives rise to craving and clinging, which results in suffering, known as dukkha which comes about when we crave and hold on to changing states, events, people, phenomena or even our sense of self. The clinging and craving produces karma and the round of death and rebirth. There are many forms of craving, for example kamatana, the craving for sense pleasures, bahavatana, the craving to remain in this cycle of life, death and rebirth. Dukkha, often referred to as suffering, arises then because of our expectation of happiness from things which are impermanent but which are ultimately incapable of providing happiness. It is the painful state resulting from our incapacity to be satisfied. This produces karma. The four truths express the basic orientation of Buddhism. These truths are the truth of suffering, the truth of the cause of suffering, the truth of the end of suffering and the truth of the path that leads to the end of suffering. We crave and cling to impermanent states and things which cause dukkha and this is perpetuated by desire and avidya, ignorance. Thus we remain in samsara, a continual illusion which further perpetuates the state of suffering and more karma. Samsara means wandering and is translated often as illusion. It has the connotation of endless cycles of all life, matter, existence and rebirth. But there is a way to liberation from this endless cycle to the state of Nirvana, namely, following the Noble Eightfold Path, this is right understanding, ethical conduct, right speech, right action, right livelihood, mental discipline, right effort and right mindfulness. If craving ceases, then so does dukkha and also karma. The Buddhist path to moshka or liberation is the struggle to end this craving and clinging onto those things that are impermanent. The cycle of rebirth and the realms or bardos in which these rebirths can occur is explained in Buddhism Practices of Buddhism include taking refuge in the Buddha and the noble path, study of scriptures, following the teachings of moral behaviour, the giving up of craving and attachment, the practice of meditation, the cultivation of wisdom, loving kindness and compassion. Finally, a few words on the Buddhist conception of mind. The human mind, in its essence is derived from a universal mind, which originates all matter, all life, and ourselves. In the Lankavatara Sutra, the Buddha contrasts our ordinary discriminating sense mind with the universal mind as follows. Quote, the sense minds and their centralised discriminating mind are related to the external world which is a manifestation of itself and is given over to perceiving, discriminating and grasping its illusory appearance. Universal mind transcends all individuation and limits. It is thoroughly pure in its essential nature subsisting unchanged and free from faults of impermanence, undisturbed by egoism, unruffled by distinctions, desires and diversions. Universal mind is like a great ocean, its surface ruffled by waves and surges, but its depths remain forever unmoved. In itself it is devoid of personality, and all that belongs to it. But by reason of the defilements upon its face, it is like an actor, and plays a variety of parts, among which a mutual functioning takes place, and the mind system arises. Unquote. I should now like to turn briefly to a form of Tibetan art that embodies this philosophy. A Tibetan painting is called a thangka, that is, something that is rolled up, like a scroll. It is a form of religious art based on mandalas, which are mystical diagrams. They are often painted by monks or by laymen under the supervision of a lama, sufficiently prepared in the sacred texts there is a spiritual preparation necessary to make a painting. For instance, if it depicts an after-death experience, then the painter is advised to prepare for his own eventual death. The Buddhist aims to escape samsara, the cycle of life, death and rebirth, and to put an end to suffering. The tanka moves practitioners towards a more spiritual relationship with the world, that ultimately will lead to the transcendence of earthly things. Thangkas contain mystical symbols and are meditational devices designed for spiritual insight. They are often hung in temples or at family altars or for special religious occasions. They can also be for a dying person to help rebirth. The artist also benefits greatly from the disciplined labour involved in the production of a thangka and more importantly from the visionary process of art that requires him to see reality on a more metaphysical level. The purpose of Tibetan art is to effect visual liberation through seeing. Tibetan art uses symbolic forms and images to connect to the deeper psyche. Tankas may depict gods, demons, the Buddha or gurus and so on. The mythological and symbolic figures in the painting are characteristics of all human beings. The Buddha, for example, is not just a specific saviour, but is an expression of that which is possible for us to become. The numerous deities in the painting allow us to recognise them later in the bardo, or intermediary phase between death and rebirth. In this Bardo state, our consciousness is in a no-man's land, and images of the deities will approach the consciousness of the dead person, first appearing as peaceful figures, and then becoming wrathful, as the dead person moves to lower levels of existence, back into rebirth. The dead person needs to recognise these images as reflections of himself, or he will be reborn back into samsara in this world. Therefore, the paintings are used to help guide the painter and the viewer towards spiritual liberation by providing reflections and visions of what is to come after our death. Tibetan paintings evoke archetypal elements out of the psyche, The primary intent is to help both artist and the viewer reach a higher spiritual state through an artistic meditational practice. By meditating on these paintings, one may move to a higher level of consciousness. Perhaps the most famous Tibetan screen painting is that which shows the cycle of life, death and rebirth. It is displayed outside many temples and shrines in Tibetan India. You may type into your search engine Tibetan screen painting cycle of life and you will see examples of this particular mandala motif. This wheel of life is in the grip of the Lord of Death and is divided into six segments representing the locus or realms into which we can be born. For example, the celestial realm of the gods then jealous warrior gods, then the hungry ghosts. These are creatures possessed by insatiable greed, with enormous stomachs and appetites, yet with tiny mouths. Next, the world of human beings, then of animals, and then of hell. Inside the wheel are two concentric circles the outer showing the ascending and descending paths with souls traversing them, while the inner circle contains three animals, a pig, a snake and a rooster. These animals represent the three poisons or forces that perpetuate the cycles of birth and death and are responsible for the suffering in life. The pig at the centre of the Tibetan painting represents Ignorance, avidya, which is a basic misunderstanding, the only solution for which is spiritual wisdom, prajna paramita. It follows that transpersonal experiences are vital to counteract this force. The snake or second poison represents aggression in which the human species reaches a malignancy unprecedented in the rest of nature. The third poison is the rooster symbol, lust, desire and insatiable greed. These three are surely responsible for much of the darkness in the human psyche. Now I should like to move on to the Tibetan Book of the Dead. But first a few words about Tibetan Buddhism and its geographic spread which is also found, not just in Tibet, but in the regions surrounding the Himalayas, much of Central Asia, the Southern Siberian regions, as well as Mongolia. It is a form of Mahayana Buddhism, stemming from the latest stage of Indian Buddhism. It also preserves the Tantric status quo of 8th century India, inclusive of native Tibetan practices. The Badal Thodol, as it's called, The Tibetan Book of the Dead is a Western term. is a text from a larger group of teachings called the Profound Dharma of Self-Liberation. And it is the best-known work of that period. The Tibetan Book of the Dead, as we call it, describes and is intended to guide one through the experiences that consciousness has after death in this Bardo, the interval between death and the next rebirth. The Bardo Thodol differentiates... The intermediate state between lives into three bardos first of all the chike bardo which is the bardo at the moment of death which features the experience of the clear light of reality or at least the nearest approximation of which one is spiritually capable next the chonyid bardo which is the bardo of the experiencing of reality which is the experience of the visions of various Buddha forms. And the Siddhpa Bardo, which is that of rebirth, which features hallucinations, the result of one's karma, resulting in rebirth. And this involves compulsive imagery of men and women in sexual embrace, as it were, into which one is drawn for a rebirth. There are three other Bardo's mentioned. Life, or ordinary waking consciousness. dhyana, which is meditation Bardo. And the dream Bardo, the dream state during normal sleep. So together, these six Bardo's are a classification of the states of consciousness into these six broad types. So, first was Bardo of moment of death. Second, the bardo of the experiencing of reality. Next, the bardo of rebirth. And three of the bardos are mentioned, as it were, in our normal living state. The life or ordinary waking consciousness, meditation states and dream states. So all of these are different states of consciousness. The Tibetan Book of the Dead was published in English in 1927. Dr. Walter Y. Evans Venst chose this title because actually it reminded him of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Some people believe that the Tibetan Book of the Dead is not read to people who are dying. But I've heard of accounts and read accounts of masters who guide other people in their monasteries through the death experience. Using the Tibetan Book of the Dead structure as their guide. Now... I'd like to take two chapters of a famous book called The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying by Sogyal Rinpoche, published in 1992. And I'd like to take chapters 16 and 17 of this book. Chapter 16 is called The Ground, and he says that in death our true nature is revealed, our absolute and relative nature. How we are, our absolute nature, and how we've been in this life, our relative nature. In death, all components of our mind and body are stripped away and disintegrate. Senses dissolve, and the ordinary mind dies, with negative emotions of anger, desire, and ignorance dying also. Finally, nothing obscures our true nature, the primordial ground of our absolute nature. This is called The clear light, the ground luminosity. The Tibetan Book of the Dead says, The nature of everything is open, empty, and naked like the sky. Luminous emptiness, without centre or circumference. The pure, naked Rigpa dawns self originated clear light which from the very beginning was never born this experience is the great opportunity for liberation in the death process but only if we recognize it only if in advance we know the true nature of mind our Rigpa which is established through right meditation otherwise we are completely unprepared for the vast immensity of this experience, we simply will not recognize it. We react instinctively with fears and conditioning and grasping, and this prevents our liberation. All beings have lived and died and been reborn countless times. Over and over again, they have experienced the indescribable clear light. But because they are obscured by the darkness of ignorance, they wander about endlessly in a limited state called samsara, state of illusion. Our avidya, ignorance, and all its experiences are stored in our ordinary mind. The aim of our spiritual practice is to prepare for the moment of death and to purify the barrier in our own mind. This is the barrier to the transcendent but our mind is like an alcoholic that kicks the habit but then when it's depressed or tempted returns to the habit. It is regular practice that dissolves the barriers. We need to be acquainted with this ground, rest in it, unite our absolute and relative nature and purify our ordinary condition into a state of primordial purity. One of the highest meditations is that of the mother and child luminosities, which are united. The mother is the ground luminosity. And the child is the path luminosity. And this is practised daily. Mother is the ground. We are on the path, like the child. With respect to the clear light and ground luminosity... When it dawns, it stays as long as the practitioner can bear it, can rest in it. Maybe this is a moment and it becomes unbearable. Maybe it's 20 minutes. Maybe it's much longer. It depends upon the practice and the establishment of the the depth of that practice. In the next chapter, Intrinsic Radiance is its title. When ground luminosity dawns, a death experience, practitioners will maintain awareness and recognise it. If not, then we pass to the next bardo of dharmata, the intrinsic nature of everything. Naked, unconditioned truth, the true nature of phenomenal existence, can be experienced. This is an unfolding, as if from darkness to light. It is spontaneous presence within the expanse of primordial purity in which mind and its fundamental nature are revealed as it moves to the next bardo of becoming. So, if in the first experience of the ground you don't exit into nirvana so to speak then you go on to the next bardo, on your way to a rebirth experience but you present it with numerous chances for liberation freedom and nirvana if you could merge with that light but that's very difficult if you listen incidentally to the british early 20th century composer Elgar's dream of Gerontius, where he meets God, gets into the region of God, and there's this phenomenal musical experience in which you can feel him backing off from the light. The experience of the immense light and not being able to bear it, being in an ecstatic agony. That's Elgar's dream of Gerontius, choral music. So the Bhada of Dhammata, where we are now in the second major stage, has four phases, each with an opportunity for liberation. The first one is luminosity, the landscape of light, where space dissolves into luminosity. The second is the union with the deities. If you cannot integrate the above, then the rays of light and colour integrate and coalesce into points of balls of light, and the mandalas of the peaceful and wrathful deities emerge. I think here we're into Tibetan imagery, and perhaps in the modern world these would be images that relate to ourselves, to our own darkness and light, or maybe scenes from culturally from Dante's Inferno, Paradise Lost are images of heaven and hell, gods and devils, spirit worlds. And the third stage, wisdom, is another fine shaft of light springs out from the heart and an enormous vision flows from it. So locked in the heart there is enormous wisdom. However, every detail of this experience remains distinct and precise. This is a display of the various aspects of wisdom which appear together in a show like carpets of light and resplendent, spherical, luminous balls of light. And fourthly, spontaneous presence. If we cannot integrate the above experiences in this Dhammata, the luminosity, the union with deities, the experience of wisdom, then the latter wisdom dissolves into spontaneous presence. And the whole of reality presents itself in one tremendous presence or display. The limitlessness of this vision is beyond our earthly imagination. Every possibility is presented from wisdom and liberation to confusion and rebirth. And at this point you find yourself with powers of clairvoyance, recollection shown past and future lives, seen into other minds, have knowledge of the six realms of existence, you become part of some universal field. In an instant, you can recall whatever teaching you've heard and even teachings you've never heard will awaken in your mind. And this entire vision, this spontaneous presence that's presented to one, dissolves back into its original essence. The Tibetan Book of the Dead says, like a tent, collapsing once its ropes are cut. If one has the stability to recognise these manifestations as the self-radiance of one's own Rigpa, the underpinning of your own mind, one can be liberated. But without the experience of Togol or Tibetan practice, one is unable to look at the visions of the deities or the light or the spontaneous presence or the wisdom is unbearable. And instead, as a result of one's habitual tendencies of previous lives, one is drawn downwards to the six realms. And it is those that we recognise and would tempt us back again into the world of delusion. Tibetan prayer runs as follows. Know when the bardo of Dhammata is upon me, I will abandon all fear and terror. I will recognise whatever appears as the display of my own Rigpa. I know it to be the natural appearance of this bardo. Now that I have reached this crucial point, I will not fear the peaceful and restful day it is that arises from the nature of my very own mind. The key to understanding this Bardo is that all the experiences that take place in it are the natural radiance of the nature of mind. Just as light is scattered by a crystal, so the dazzling appearance of the Dhammata. Cannot be separated from the nature of mind. This is its spontaneous expression. So, however terrifying the appearance may be, one has to just simply stay with it, see it through, to bear it. Strictly speaking, however, it would be wrong to call these appearances visions or even experiences, because these depend upon a dualistic relationship between the perceiver and something perceived if we can recognize the appearances of the bardo dhamata as the wisdom energy of our very own mind there is no difference between perceived and perceived observer and observed and this is an experience of non-duality to enter into that experience completely is to attain liberation which arises at that moment in the after-death state when consciousness can realize its experiences has nothing other than mind itself.